Welcome to the Bridge to God's Word podcast with Carla Unseth, a linguistic consultant for missionaries working in Bible translation. We invite you to visit us at www.bridgetogodsword.org to learn more about Carla's ministry. Now, here's linguistic consultant Carla Unseth. Hi, this is Carla Unseth with Building a Bridge to God's Word, and thank you so much for joining me today as we are finishing up or getting close to the end of Titus. Today we are going to look at Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, and I really like this passage because it has a really nice explanation of God's work in our lives, kind of a mini gospel right in the middle of this passage. But before we dive into that, we're going to look at a translation principle. So today, we're going to look at the principle of how to translate key biblical terms. So there's a lot of words in the Bible that are vocabulary that you don't find often in other places. They are biblical type vocabulary. Think about words like grace and redemption. You might use those words in other areas of life, but they probably aren't very frequent, and they are frequent in the Bible, and they have important meanings in the Bible. So because they're important to our understanding of the Bible, we have to make sure when we're translating them that we do a really good job of finding a word that captures the meaning, but it might be hard to find that word because it's not something that's going to be used very often in the culture. So what you have to do is first actually study this special biblical term and see what it means in the biblical context. Think of grace. What exactly is that? What does it mean the way that it's used in the Bible? Then you can compare that word to other words with similar meanings. So for grace, you might look up a word like favor, kindness, goodwill, Um, even a gift. Look at those kind of words and see how those words relate, how they compare. What What are the similarities and what are the differences? Then you look at the new language and look at the different words that cover these different ranges of meanings and decide what word you're going to use to express this. Sometimes it'll be one word or sometimes it'll be a phrase. So, for example, in one of the languages I'm working with, for grace, they actually use the word free gift or free help or free help from God. They use some combination of those words in order to express this idea of grace because they don't have a word for grace. So that's often what you have to do. Um, You have to find a phrase or something that covers the meaning, even if they don't have one specific word. And then, of course, you go out and you test it with people to make sure that they understand the concept. And even if it's something that their their understanding is going to grow as they read the Bible, they should start out with some very basic understanding of what kind of idea you're getting across. So we've already seen a lot of biblical terms in Titus. We saw a lot in chapter two, where it talked about people's behavior. How should you live? How should you carry yourself? But this section has some key biblical terms as well. So let's read Titus 3, 1 through 8. And again, this is English Standard Version. It says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work 
to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Okay, so you can hear already from that section that we've got lots of key biblical terms. So let's look first at the first two verses. They say, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. So you're probably already recognizing that these are lists, and lists are a bit hard to translate because there's lots of words with similar meanings, and we need to sort of pick through those different meanings and understand how to translate these lists. And so here, these verses are giving recommendations for how Christians should live, just as in chapter 2, but these recommendations are a little bit more toward how people should behave to people outside the church. When other people who aren't Christians look at you, here's what they should see. They should see that you respect the government and respect authority. They should see that you're not fighting and quarreling with people, but instead that you're kind and courteous. So with these, with these verses, we have a lot of special terms, but they aren't necessarily Bible-specific. Words like obedient, quarreling, gentle... They are important words, and they need to be studied, and probably in a similar way as biblical terms, but they don't quite have the significance of a key biblical term, and we aren't going to look through them right now. I did want to also note, just a side note on these verses, that Paul is talking specifically about these things because they go against the Cretan way of life. So people who lived on the island of Crete did not behave this way. And so a person who did behave this way, as it says in these first two verses, would clearly be different from other people who lived in Crete at that time. So the Christian life was supposed to be this contrast, a huge contrast between a Christian and those values of the society of people on Crete. So, of course, that's something we learn from studying this text. We don't add it to the text when we translate, but it does help inform our translation. All right, so now let's look at verse 3. And this begins an explanation of why we behave differently. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So here, Paul's about to move into this explanation of the gospel, but he's setting up a contrast. The contrast between the way we once behaved and people who don't follow Christ continue to behave this way, but we, or Christians, now behave differently. So 
because it's this transitional verse, there are some key things that we want to make sure come through in translation. So first is that first contrast between what happened before and what is happening now. And we have this little word once that gives us this contrast. Before we were like this. Once we were foolish, disobedient, etc. Verse 4 is going to tell us how we are now. But in the translation, you need to make sure that contrast is coming through. You need to make sure you have that little tiny word like once to show the difference between before and now. Then the second is the word we ourselves. So here, Paul is making kind of a comparison and a contrast between him and other people. So Paul was foolish and disobedient, but he's not anymore. But there are other people who are still foolish and disobedient. So he's making that comparison. We were the same way before, but he's also making a contrast. We are different now. And you may, when you're translating, you can even make this implicit contrast explicit if you need to. You can say something like, we were once foolish, disobedient, etc. Just like people who do not know God are foolish now. You can add that phrase to show that contrast. That is making implicit information explicit, just like we talked about in some previous podcasts. So that was the state of things before Christ. But verses 4 through 7 gives us the turning point in their lives. And it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So this little section is just packed with key biblical terms. And I just love this section because it's just this great explanation of the gospel packed right into these verses. We have characteristics of God. It says, when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. So goodness and loving kindness. We get his work for us. And I mean, these phrases just come one, one right after another. He saved us according to his mercy by washing us by regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That's also a key term through Jesus Christ, our Savior, also a key term. Hopefully you've already determined that one by this point in the Bible. So that being justified, so we're justified by his grace. He gives us grace. We might become heirs. Heirs is also a key term. And according to the hope, there's a key term of eternal life. Again, another key term. So I love how this passage packs all these things into these three verses. It's a whole picture of what God does in salvation. Salvation when we first become saved, but then also how he keeps us in anticipation of eternal life with him. So that is great, but it does make a challenge for translation. All of these terms need to be studied and compared and sort of figured out how, how do they work within salvation? What exactly do these terms mean? And what part of that salvation process are they representing? And then we need to choose words in the new language. 
Now, it would take too long for us to get into all these words, so I want to look at just a few. Let's look at the two words, regeneration and renewal. Those are in verse 5, and it says, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So we've also got washing and Holy Spirit, but let's look specifically at regeneration and renewal. So our first step is to understand the words in the biblical context. And we can do that by looking them up in a Bible dictionary and by looking up other places where they appear so you can get a full understanding of what this word means. Now, I like the website BibleHub.com because it is a free resource and you can see a lot of these different things. You can see an interlinear of the verse. That means you can see it in Greek and then the translation of that word in English. And then above the Greek word, it has a little number, and that's the Strong's number. Strong's is a dictionary. So you can click on that. It gives you a definition. It also shows you all the places in the Bible where this word appears. Um, and there's a couple different, it refers to a couple different dictionaries. So you can see how a couple different people are defining this word. And of course, it's nice that this website is free. There are many other dictionaries that you can buy that are really good, but this one is free. Um, okay, so here are some definitions of these two words. The word regeneration is the word palagonasia, and that literally means again and birth. So being born again, <laughs> pretty cool. And it, it, it really means being born again, a state of being renewed or experiencing a complete change of life. So this also tells us that this word is also found in Matthew 19, 28. And if we read that, it says, Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So it is the word in the new world that is this same word. And it means, again, in the regeneration, in the time when all things are made new or born again, made again. So that's an idea of what the word regeneration means. Now let's look at the word renewal. And again, you can already hear they're very similar. And interestingly, one of the things you learn about Paul when you study is that he likes to make up new words. He often will stick two words together and make a new word. <laughs> so they don't appear very much in the Bible or in other ancient literature. And that is the word renewal. It is a word that he has combined two things together. The word ana, which means it's anakinosis. And ana means up or again. And then kinos means new or fresh. So it does mean being made new or being made new again. So kind of like being made really new. And we can see that this word, the one other place this word is used is Romans 12, 2, which says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that renewal of your mind, you're being made new again, or being made really new. So the next step after that is to compare these words with other similar words. So another book 
that I really like is the Lexham Theological Wordbook. And this book actually does this, where it groups similar words and it compares their meaning. It is a very great resource. This resource, unfortunately, is not free, but you can get it through Logos. So if you have the Logos software, that's Bible study software with a lot of different resources, you can find it on there. So if we look in the Lexham Theological Wordbook, it has grouped together a whole bunch of words that have to do with regeneration and renewal. One is genau, which means to give birth or to bear. So regeneration as birth. Another is anaganau, which means to give birth again or to beget again. So that also kind of means being being born again. Then we have the what we just talked about, palagonasia, rebirth or renewal. We have another word which talks about bringing into being and that is also talks about being made new by being brought into being. We have the word for new, kainos. That's a general word for new. So that word is often used also to refer to the new creation or a new being. So we can kind of compare those words. I'm not going to get into it too much, but you can read and study those words as well. Compare them, see what is similar and what is different. And you can see by doing just a little bit of study that we've done that these two words are very similar. They have slightly different meanings. And I think that's really part of Paul's style. He really likes coordination. He likes to coordinate similar words in his writing. So when you translate, there are different ways to deal with that. Some You can choose two separate words like ESV does, regeneration and renewal. Two words, similar meanings. Or you can use a translation which shows how they are related. Something like you can say new birth and new life. So you can say you've been given a new birth and new life. Sometimes, though, when these words are so similar, it might be hard to find two different words that coordinate the same way that that Paul uses these two words. So you might need to encapsulate these two words into one idea. So you can say something like, he makes us new people. So new people gives us both the regeneration and the renewal. So here's what these differences might sound like in this whole sentence. ESV says, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So if you're coordinating ideas, you can say, through the cleansing of the Holy Spirit, which gives us new birth and new life. Or when you, if you translate it as a single word, through the cleansing of the Holy Spirit, which makes us new people. So you'll also notice that in this translation, the word washing is changed to the word cleansing. And the reason is that washing is a bit of a metaphor. God doesn't literally wash us. So that can be changed to show that the Holy Spirit makes us clean before God by changing to a word like cleansing. But if the metaphor makes sense, you don't have to change it. Okay, so that's a look just at these two words, but in this whole these this whole section of verses that gives us this mini gospel. And I wish we could dive into it more because it's so amazing, but maybe you can do some of that study on your own. But let's look real quickly at verse 8. The last verse of this section, it says, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. 
These things are excellent and profitable for people. So here Paul is wrapping up by reminding Titus of his commission. He's saying you need to be firm on these things. You need to insist on them. Don't let people ignore you. And he gives the reason. The reason is that they devote themselves to good works, or in other words, they need to be serving God as he has called them to do. So I know we're getting a bit long, so I will stop there. And next time, we will go ahead and finish up the book of Titus. We will look a little bit at Paul's last few instructions and also what to do with someone who refuses to listen to instructions. And then we'll also see Paul's final greetings. So I hope you enjoyed this little look into translating special biblical terms and how that looks in this section and especially in this beautiful recap of the gospel. So thanks so much for joining us, and I hope you'll join us again next time for Building a Bridge to God's Word. 